Now, this is Jeremy McFarland for the Footballers Family Podcast. In my search to find out why footballers family, I come across stories of people that I might have heard of but really never looked into. Today's interview was about one of those people. If you haven't heard about Amos Alonzo Stagg, I encourage you to not only listen to this interview with author Jennifer Taylor Hall, but also go and buy her book about Stagg entitled Amos Alonzo Stagg, College Football's Man in Motion. It is a great book about a man who helped college football grow and influence the rules and the way football is played. While you're at it, go over to the Sports History Network's homepage and take a look at the many podcasts we have to offer. We have a lot of talented people working to give you sports history at your fingertips. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarland or on the Footballers Family Facebook page. And we have a sponsor this week. Gerard Butler, Marina Baccarin, and Scott Glenn star in the Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh pulse-pounding uh, pulse disaster thriller Greenland. When a planet-killing comet races towards Earth, a father and his family make a perilous journey to their only hope for sanctuary while encountering the best and worst in humanity as the countdown to global apocalypse approaches. Zero. Own Greenland today on digital, Blu-ray, and DVD, which includes deleted scenes, feature commentary with director Rick Romanois, and much more. And we're back to Footballers Family Podcast, and I have a great guest, one I've been looking forward to for about a month now, I believe, something like that. Uh, in this COVID time, you lose track of time. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, hey there. My name is Jennifer Taylor Hall, and I am the author of Amos Alonzo Stagg, College Football's Man in Motion. Now, uh, I'm sure you, you've said that title a lot. <laughs> And you probably had to explain who Amos Alonzo Stagg is to several people. Uh, if you were to give it a Twitter handle or a Twitter statement, just in a few characters, who is Mr. Stagg? Well, he's the grand old man of football. Okay. He, uh, he for people who know college football and really appreciate the history of fo college football. They know his name, but, and I'll include myself in this group. I had heard his name and I knew of him through other biographies I had read, but I didn't really know the significance of his contributions to the game. And because he was part of the early days of football, his contributions were legendary and he really helped shape the game and the game that we know today is due in large part to the contributions he made in the late 1800s early 1900s now when you say early football you're talking about early football i am i'm talking about the emergence of football from rugby you know, the truly, you know, the 150 year anniversary that we celebrated. Thank you, ESPN last year. Um, the, he was part of that. He, he came along soon after that uh, inaugural game. And uh, of course, he was at the University of Chicago. And at that time in the 1890s, believe it or not, Chicago was a powerhouse. They were instrumental in 
bringing football from the East where it had become very popular at schools like Harvard and Yale, but he really brought it to the Midwest. And of course, I now talk in the book about this. He helped form what became the Big Ten. It was the Western Conference originally, but schools like Michigan and Ohio State were yearly opponents of the University of Chicago. And again, that was in large part due to Mr. Stagg and his status as a leader among those coaches. Now, you in this book, you chronicle a lot of stories. And I have a few I want to bring up that I just thought, I'm sure you've done plenty of interviews where you talked a lot about his football contribution, but there's several things in here that just, my goodness, it's amazing. Uh, the first thing is, he was born in 1862. Is that That's correct? Right. That's right. And he died in 1965. That's right. So he lived through the Civil War, right? The Spanish American War, uh-huh. World War One, World War Two, and part of the Cold War. That's correct. Now, yeah. to me, I'm a I'm a historian. If I had done it right, I would have got a double major in, in in college with history. I didn't do it right, but I almost did it. That to me is is more fascinating than the football aspect that he saw all this. Right, right, and and in the book, I mentioned that his life spanned the presidencies of Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy, which is stunning when you think about it. Um, that he lived to be 102 and he was alive at the time of the Emancipation Proclamation. He was an infant and he outlived John F. Kennedy. And interesting little note, um, I tell the story of one of his players. His name was Wayne Harden and Wayne Harden played for Mr. Stagg at College of the Pacific in the 1940s. Well, college football fans will know the name Wayne Harden for his days coaching at the Naval Academy. He was Roger Staubach and Joe Bellino's coach when they won the Heisman. And it was actually the game in 1963, the Army-Navy game, was played right, it was scheduled to be played right after President Kennedy was assassinated and Coach Harden didn't want to play the game out of respect to the late president. But Mrs. Kennedy insisted. She said, my husband would have wanted the game to be played. Please play it in his honor. And so they did. And I had the opportunity to interview Coach Harden and he shared that story with me. And, And he actually was able to share that story with Mr. Stagg, when Mr. Stagg was near death, Coach Harden went to see him to say goodbye. And it was not long after the um, that Army-Navy game was played. So that, that was a, a, obviously a very emotional story for Coach Harden to share with me because obviously as coach of the, the uh, Naval Academy, who did win that game, um, but during that momentous time in U.S. history, but also the fact that he could share that with his mentor, Mr. Stagg, who meant so much to him. Absolutely. And yeah. and you, you mentioned in the book several times about the influence that he had over his men, even later on in life, 
I believe it might have been in Stockton. I don't I can't remember the right off the top of my head, but where they were eating somewhere and uh Mr. Stagg ordered the food for his players and they didn't say a word. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Um, and that was later in his career. He was coaching at College of the Pacific. That uh, That's the school I referred to. And it is okay. in Stockton. Okay. And uh, that's where Wayne Harden played for him. Um, that's where Eddie LeBaron played for him. The little general played college ball for him there. But you're exactly mm-hmm. right. And these were grown men who were many years beyond their, their college playing days. And they were having a reunion with Mr. Stagg and he, he ordered dinner for everyone and not a man was going to challenge him on, <laughs> on any aspect of that order. So well, looking at some of the pictures of him, even when he was in his eighties, I don't think I would challenge him. No, he looked, now you said that he lived up to 102 right. and he did that because you said he was the man in motion. The, the cover picture, he was 80. That's right. 82, I believe. 82. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he is still running. He, in, in my research, I discovered that he ran two miles a day well into his 80s. That was part of his daily routine. Huh. Um, if, and If I'm running, something's chasing me. <laughs> uh, but he also didn't like, you weren't, you weren't going to cuss uh, in front of him. Uh, but he had some uh, other words that he would call them, and I, I don't, I don't say words like that simply because I, my kids would hear him. Um, but he would call them double, and he would call them donkeys, basically. And that's I, exactly, I laughed when I saw that. I, I just giggled. Uh, he didn't eat a lot of sugar. That's correct. Now that is something that I, I can't do. I just I like my sugar. Right, right. You know, he really was ahead of his time in understanding the role that diet plays in our overall health. And so, you know, we kind of think of the traditional training table for football players where they can kind of eat whatever they want, heavy meals, lots of meat and things like that. But he really eschewed that. He he was, uh, even at times, a vegetarian. Um, personally, he didn't necessarily impose that on his players, but he did not have what would be considered a traditional uh, buffet offered to his players. He expected them to eat a healthy diet. And he absolutely insisted that they refrain from alcohol and smoking. So, and he did that himself. Now you and I are Southern. If you can't tell from how we talk, (laughs) Uh, the one thing that he is not, he was from New Jersey. That's correct. Yes. They didn't have sweet tea up there, did they? Probably not. Certainly not the sweet tea that you and I know. Yeah. The sweet tea down here in Tennessee, and I'm sure in Arkansas is that you chew it. It's so sweet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but one of the stories that I like that you added, it, Fritz Chrysler, uh, he was smoking a cigarette when he was older. And here comes Mr. Stagg in. And I said that, that he took the cigarette and put it in his pocket and shook his hand while it was smoldering in his pocket. 
That, that's exactly right. Yes. Um, so it, it was a ballroom and, and Fritz Chrysler could see Mr. Stad walking in from across the, the room. And so he didn't have an opportunity to find an ashtray, I suppose. And so he took the lit cigarette out of his mouth and just stuffed it in his pocket. And so there it was smoldering in his pocket when he greeted Mr. Stagg, but he wasn't about to let Mr. Stagg see him smoking. That is That is what we call respect. Now, there are a bunch of stories. And uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time tonight, but I just I have to share this. The time Mr. Stagg and his football team fought a fire. Yes, that that's right. And and to add to that, he and Mrs. Stagg were on their honeymoon. Yes. So and that that's. You know, I, I hope I meet Mrs. Stagg in heaven. I want to talk to her as much as I want to talk to him. I mean, any woman who travels across country on a train with a college football team on her honeymoon, that, that's my kind of gal, you know. And and yes, along the way, one of the train cars caught on fire. And so Mr. Stagg grabbed his players and <laughs> they they became firefighters uh, along the way. Now I'm looking at Miss Stella Stagg. I'm looking at a picture of her and she looked like she was a tough woman. I think she probably was, but she was quite petite. And uh, another Wayne Harden story that I have in there, he remembers her. And and keep in mind, when he played for Mr. Stagg, Mr. Stagg was in really the twilight of his career. He was in his 80s coaching at College of the Pacific. And Mrs. Stagg was a few years younger, but she was you know into her 70s. She was there at practice. She was there on game day in the stands, charting everything. But one particular day at practice, she was out there on the sidelines with her notepad taking notes. And um, this was during um, Harden's freshman year. And so all of the other players persuaded him to go over and ask Mrs. Stagg exactly what she was doing. And he was quite reluctant to do it, but but under pressure from the upperclassmen, he went over there and he said, uh, you know, Mrs. Stagg, the fellows and I are just wondering what you're doing here. And he said she didn't miss a beat. She looked up at him and said, young man, I'm just trying to decide if you're going to play on Saturday. That. <laughs> that that's a game breaker right there. That's right. And and he said she was no nonsense and he didn't doubt for a minute that whatever she said based on what she witnessed in practice was going to um inform what Mr. Stag did on Saturday. So, so they met Mr. Miss Stags, they met in uh at Chicago. She was that's a correct. she was a basketball player. That's right. She was a student and a student athlete. Now, I tell you what, that's a, an athletic family. And if I, if I remember correctly, his children played for him as well. That's right. They had two sons and a daughter. Both sons played football for him at Chicago. And their daughter, Ruth, was a good athlete in her own right. Um, of course, you know, he was a men's coach, so she didn't have him as a coach in college. But um, all three of them were really strong athletes. Now, who did you get to talk to of his family? So I was able to talk to two of his grandchildren or their grandchildren who are in their 90s now. Oh, wow. 
so. But um, one of the granddaughters, she's actually the daughter of Amos Alonzo Stagg Jr. Okay. And so remember, you may remember this from the story. Um, Alonzo Stagg Jr. was the head coach, head football coach at Susquehanna University in the late 40s and into the 50s. And about the time that Mr. Stagg Sr. was um, coming to the end of his career at College of the Pacific, he really didn't want to hang it up. And so Stagg Jr. asked his dad and mom to come to Susquehanna and help with the football team. And of course, Mr. Stagg Sr. wasn't about to pass up an opportunity to continue coaching. So they actually moved from Stockton to Susquehanna and they lived there during the football season with Alonzo Jr. and his family. And it was his daughter I was able to interview. So she knew her grandparents quite well because she was in college there while her father and grandfather were coaching the football team and living in their home during football season because they they maintained their home in Stockton in the off season. So well, she had pretty, some great stories to tell. That's pretty neat. That um, it's nothing like having the personal connection. A um, couple questions here. What does Notre Dame owe the University of Chicago? <laughs> a great deal, actually. Um, and I mentioned several stag players who went on to coach at Notre Dame. Um, Jesse Harper is one of them. Um, but, you know, Stag, as I mentioned earlier, he really brought football to the Midwest. And it's kind of hard to think of Midwest football without Notre Dame, but that's really what the football landscape looked like in the 1890s. Notre Dame was nothing in, in terms of the uh, the football powerhouse that they are today and have been, you know, during your lifetime and mine. But Mr. Stagg helped elevate them to prominence by inviting them to Chicago to play. And of course, South Bend and Chicago are close um, geographically. And so this was um, not a difficult game to schedule. And so for a period of time in the 1890s, they played, I believe, five out of six consecutive years. And this really, because of Chicago's prominence, this elevated Notre Dame's prominence. And of course, Later, um, Stagg and Rockney were friends, and and you know Rockney famously said that all football goes back to Stagg and Yale, and I think he recognized the contributions of Mr. Stagg to the game. Now, if uh, I, I'm not really good with a lot of movie trivia, but I did see that Stagg was in the Newt Rockney movie. Right. Was that yeah, the movie mm-hmm. with Ronald Reagan? That's correct. Okay, yep. so there's you go. There's your five levels of Kevin Bacon right now. How did Ronald Reagan and Alan, uh, Stag go together? Well, there it is. There it is. That's now, exactly right. uh, Stag coached for several years. He was seventy years old when he was forced out of Chicago. That's right. He was forced into retirement, and really, that was as much a function of 
Chicago's desire to move away from athletics as it was their desire to part ways with Mr. Stagg. Um, by that point, you know, it was the mid-1930s and the University of Chicago had opted to become more of an academic powerhouse and wanted to de-emphasize athletics. And, um, and of course, at that point, Chicago was really struggling to compete with Michigan and Ohio State yeah. and, and some of those other larger schools who could really recruit strong athletes that Chicago couldn't. Because at that point, recruiting became um, a, a more serious endeavor. It Really, there was not recruiting, um, certainly not in the way we know recruiting today early on in Stagg's career. But by the 30s and 40s, it was that was becoming um, a more common practice. And so the Michigans and Ohio States of the um, Western Big Ten Conference were getting those bigger, um, more athletic players. And and Chicago, again, the trustees were kind of de-emphasizing athletics. The football team was not having much success. And so um, forces just kind of came together and they uh, encouraged Mr. Stagg to retire. They really uh, invited him to stay on in a kind of advisory capacity, but he wanted to be on the field. I mean, his passion was teaching boys to play football. And and uh, I have a, a chapter in the book called Growing Boys. And that's, that's really how he saw himself was as a teacher. And I think that's how most great coaches see themselves. Well, and, and I'm glad you kind of segue into what I was about to say. We are not trying to raise grass. We are trying to raise boys. Sure. They were outside playing football. And I think somebody mentioned that the grass was getting messed up and he, he didn't really care about that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, not only did Alonzo Stagg uh, help with making football the way it is with the forward pass and other things like that, but he also helped with another sport with peach baskets. That's right. That's exactly right. So his good buddy, Jim Naismith um, at Springfield College was uh, challenged to come up with some activity that would keep the football players in shape in the cold Northeast winters. And when they couldn't be outside running and, and uh, conditioning for football, they needed some indoor activity. And um, so Luther Gulick, the, the president of the school, and, and it was not Springfield College then, it was the YMCA Training Academy, but he challenged Jim Naismith to come up with some activity to keep these boys in shape. And he found a couple of peach baskets and invented the game of basketball. And his his friend and colleague, Alonzo Stagg, was involved, although wouldn't take any credit because it, it was Nate Smith's invention. But but he was part of the early days of basketball, too. But the funny story, and I didn't know this, and I'm glad you mentioned this, is that it got to a point where people were tired of getting the ball out of the basket. They had to put a hole in it. That's right. They, they, the, the fellow that had to go up, you know, into the rafters and, and retrieve the ball out of the basket, got tired of doing that. And someone came up with the idea, you know, if we cut the bottom out of this thing, the ball will fall right through. And there you go. 
necessity is the mother of invention. I I was just about to say that. But, you know, uh, I have another thing, and I want to know if you know this. The Seamen, the club, do you know the song? I do not. I do not. They would not give me a sweater because I I don't know the the words to the song. What what is that? So so the the, uh, Order of the Sea or the Seamen were uh, the lettermen for the University of Chicago. Uh, of course, it started with football, uh, but now right. it, it, it's spread to, to the other varsity sports. And that that's another uh, innovation of Mr. Stagg in his days at Chicago, awarding uh, varsity letters. That, let me say this, this, this book um, opened my eyes to stuff I, I didn't know or I, I heard of, but I didn't know who did it. Um, it's obviously a passion to you and, and you can tell how much you, you like it, but I, one more story. And then I've got a question for you. Um, the first player drafted by an NFL team was from the university of Chicago, uh, Jay Erwanger. Okay. Now I've heard it in uh, a book. I read, uh, Eisenberg's book, The League, uh, he mentions that. And I was like, okay, I've heard this name before, but I didn't realize he was from Chicago. He was. And first Heisman Trophy winner also. Yes. Yes. And uh and and Stag had a part in that name or helping helping that get off the ground. Well, um to an extent, I, I would say um he he was there. Jay Berwanger's freshman year. And of course, at that time, freshmen didn't play on the varsity team, but Berwanger was on the the freshman team during Stagg's last year coaching at Chicago. So they did have that connection. But by the time Berwanger won the Heisman as a senior, uh, Mr. Stagg was at College of the Pacific. No, he did not play in the NFL because of, I want to say, $1,500 difference. Right. Uh, right. You, you wouldn't hear that. He today. and Mr. Hallis couldn't come to terms. Well, Mr. Hallis probably didn't have the money anyway. Um, <laughs> how do we get your book? Go to Amazon.com. Um, Amos Alonzo Stag, College Football's Man in Motion. And uh, like I said, the pictures in this are just amazing. Um, very, very well documented, very well. Uh, you, the, the story itself uh, laid out in a way where you can follow the thought process that you have. I like that. I, it, it's not scattered. It's it, you have a purpose and you stick with it. You're a great writer. Thank um, you. Thank you. Do you have a Twitter page? I I do. Um, um, at three hall bros. Um, shout out to my three sons. And uh, on Facebook, um, Jennifer Taylor Hall writes. Um, I am on Instagram. I don't spend a lot of time there because I find that most football fans don't spend a lot of time there. Uh, it's it's more Twitter and Facebook. But if, if I can, I want to go back and, and I want to give credit to Mrs. Stagg. Yeah. You, you mentioned the photographs. She saved everything. And I, I cannot imagine when I went through box after box in the archives at the University of Chicago, I mean, literally hundreds of boxes. The vast majority were newspaper clippings, personal letters, um, memorabilia, 
photographs that she had saved and the family donated all of those things to the university's archives. And for a researcher like me, it, it was a treasure. And thankfully, they have digitized many of those photographs. So we were able to publish them in you know, good quality. That it, it, um, It's an amazing quality. But let me that, ask you this. I have grown up going to historical things all my life. Did it, did their did their archives have a musty spell to it? You know, not terribly. Oh, musty, come on! But, it's got to have that. Well, but but you know, this is the University of Chicago, beautiful library. Yeah, you know, you you can imagine. I, I had on the white gloves. Oh, I bet and, you did. You know that they're very serious about preserving things, and and thankfully so because you know many of these photographs and papers that I held are 150 years old. And, and the fact that they're still in wonderful condition for someone like me to, to see and to use in my research, I'm just enormously thankful. First, that Mrs. Stagg thought to save everything, but that the University of Chicago has preserved them so well. So, Well, Miss Jennifer, thank you uh, for coming on and sharing your love and your dedication to this uh, great man of, uh, of football. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we would love to have you back on when you are, uh, you're working on another one uh, whenever I, you're done with, with that book. I am. I am. Um, I am working on a biography of Fritz Chrysler, one of the original Michigan men. Uh, it, whenever you're done with that, we would like to be one of your first podcasts to come on. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Football's Family. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.